the gospel. WIAM, The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology, wars, and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Israel's enemies and the active engagement of war only seem to be increasing, as well as the collaboration over at Team Ezekiel 38 and 39. We'll talk about an astounding anti-Semitic statistic, and only more shocking is how the truth of God's Word continues to divide the United Methodist Church. In the midst of all this global hate and pervasive sin, is it still possible to have peace on earth and goodwill toward men? As you ponder that possibility, we'll be discussing the signs of the times. Our weekly peek at Bible prophecies in the world's news for Friday, December 15th, 2023. In a world full of inflated prices and deflated customer service, experience the exact opposite when you contact our sponsor, Bob Johnson Insurance, a full-service independent agency featuring Erie Insurance products for a no-obligation quote, by phone at 865-922-3111 or online at bobjohnsonins.com. You can listen, watch, read the articles we talk about or do all three. You can share any of our shows with someone you know, or you can ask Pastor Mark a prophecy question. Where do you do all that? By hitting us up at thewaymedia.net, then click Signs of the Times, or you can do the same on the Way Media app. All the more important is we continue to lose podcast positions because we keep sharing the truth and the world doesn't want to hear it. And now, here to remind us that everyone is gifted but some never open the package is Pastor Mark, (laughs) who asked his family for some peace and quiet while he tried to make them all dinner. So they took the battery out of the smoke detector. So that was Yeah, that's that's Smilets. Yeah. Now that's again I think your intro was better than your joke. That's okay. That's that's the, I know, like that. Your, I, your I have package a, never quite open. I'm going to have to oh, refi- I'm going to have to fire my review committee because they laughed quite loud at that. So I, anyway. I like that. So that's like that's one okay. fry. You know, less than a happy meal. I like the whole package not quite open yet. To me, that that's that's the headliner. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> well, we'll spend the next 15 minutes critiquing Greg's that. joke. Your package not yet opened before no. we <laughs> before we get to prophecy stories. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, we have actually speaking of prophecy stories, we've got a lot of them. To Today, yeah. so let's we're yeah. packed. I love we it. We are so packed much. today. Yes, we so are. So much. All right, let's go to our first story here as we look at Israel in the news. And this is from the Times of Israel, dated December 13th. Netanyahu dismisses international pressure and says 
Nothing will just stop us from destroying Hamas. Yeah, this is really huge right here. And I, the reason this is so important prophetically is this is the first time that I've ever seen in Israel's history since they've been back in where they have made up their mind. We are going to do what we're going to do regardless of what anyone says. Now, that can still change. That can still change. But at this point, it's not changing. And uh, what I mean by that is, is that usually what happens is, is that Israel starts the war. We don't, here's the cycle. It's kind of like judges. Uh, uh, some, they don't start the war. I'm saying somebody attacks them. A war starts. And then Israel has to defend themselves of the war. And then when they do that, they, for a while, everybody allows them to do that until finally the international pressure builds up so much. And usually even America is kind of what stops them. They go, okay, we've, we're going to stop now. We've done enough. And it's almost like, you know, they'll get attacked. Israel responds, you know, to slightly. And then the world freaks out. And so they stop and they never get to finish the job in defending themselves and getting rid of the bad guys. And, and the thing I've seen different about this particular war, it was so atrocious, it was so evil, it was so dark, it was so extensive, that the Israelis, even the liberal Israelis that typically don't go along with this, said, that's enough. We are done. We're dealing with Hamas. And now, even with American pressure, the international pressure is always there, but even with American pressure saying, you know, guys, okay, you need to maybe start backing off, which we're doing now. Uh, we're starting to put more pressure on them. Even President Biden is changing his tune. You know, we need to kind of back off or whatever. Israel's saying, sorry, we're not backing off. We, th- we, this was too devastating. The, the feeling we had from 9-11 is nothing compared to the feeling they have right now. This is 9-11 times 15, according to numbers, really. Right, right. And, and, Greg, I think it's times 15 in the emotional, visceral responses. Not, not, not just, not revenge. That's not my point. We're done. These people that have come and raped us and killed us and burned our children alive, we're done. We're going to get them, and we don't care how many nations turn against us. We don't care if America says anything, we're going to get them. And so Netanyahu, again, according to his office, he got a briefing of what's going on. He told the unit soldiers we're continuing until the end, until victory, until the elimination of Hamas, even in the face of international pressure. Notice this statement, nothing will stop us. Now, they've said that in the past, and they stopped. And I'm like, my goodness, guys, when are you going to finally deal with the issue? And, of course, and, and I know the international pressure, et cetera, but I believe him this time. And it says he, exp- he expressed you know, appreciation to, the, to the, uh, the, the military and all they've done. But here's why this is so key, um, and I don't want to belabor it too long. We have so much to cover, but I want to say this. I think they're going to follow through and finish the job. And what's going to happen is, as the world turns against them so much, even America, their closest ally, which the Bible says in the last days, Everybody will turn against the nation of Israel. When America starts saying, okay, Israel, this is too far, stop, and they say, nope. Now the whole world, Greg, is going to be turning against the nation of Israel. As the Bible says in Zechariah 12, there'll be a stumbling block to the entire world. It tells us in other places the entire world is going to turn against them in the last days. We haven't seen that happen yet. But this is the kind of catalyst that can lead to a worldwide turning against the nation of Israel although they're simply doing what they should do to protect their people. So keep your eye on this. This is a big deal. And it's going to be a big deal because it could lead to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Absolutely. Something will at some point. Yeah. All right. This is from Breitbart.com. Our next article, dated December 11th, uh, Israel prepares for war against Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Yeah, this so is now huge. we open up a whole new window here. Yes, don't let the word southern uh, confuse throw you. you. This is northern yeah, Israel. This is up in the north. Yeah. We have something going on in the south now with Gaza. Now we're going up to the north, but it's Hezbollah, but it's southern Lebanon, which is where Hezbollah is. And this is where the real battle lies. Look, Gaza is a huge problem, and they did they, they pulled off an amazingly horrible massacre against the Jews on their border. 
But they are nothing compared to Hezbollah. They are nothing in planning, in training, in weaponry. Imagine it going up, up, you know, 10 notches from Gaza's ability. Hezbollah has way more rockets. They have rockets that are much more powerful. They have rockets that are um, much more uh, pinpoint, I think, even GPS-guided. We're talking smart missiles, which means they could pick off nuclear places, uh, the Knesset. I mean, you could hit all kinds of things if you didn't intercept it with the Iron Dome. So the point I'm saying is, look, this is just the iceberg. If they get into war with Hezbollah, you're going to see this thing go a lot longer. It may go a couple of years, and you're going to see a major offensive by the nation of Israel, wiping out that whole lower, lower region of Lebanon. And if you think the world's riled up now, you wait till that happens. Again, it happened back in 06 uh, and lasted for a couple of years to some degree. But here's what's going to happen this time. It's not going to be just tit for tat trying to stop them from being bad guys on the border. If they start attacking in greater measure, which they're already attacking, and Israel has to deal with them, uh, Greg, after after they're done with Gaza, it's going to be like massive bombardment. It's going to be a wiping out of a region. And the world is going to blow their mind. I mean, it's going to be, again, these are further things that Israel needs to do to protect themselves but would make the world just go crazy because they don't want them to protect themselves. They think that somehow Israel is supposed to allow them to kill their women and children, and they sit back and say, well, that's okay, let's just get along. Well, it's nonsense, it's not okay. And, although I know it talks about when they say peace and safety, that's referring to, I believe, really the Great Tribulation, or the, the seven years where he comes on the scene, the Antichrist, and they're saying, peace and safety, and the Lord says, sudden destruction will come upon you. There may be a prophetic application to the nation of Israel here because... If they wipe out Gaza, and if they wipe out Hezbollah, the Jews would be saying, we finally have, guess what, peace and safety. And then it says sudden destruction will come upon them. It Ezekiel. May, it, yeah, and it may, come, it may coincide with the Antichrist showing up. We don't know. But again, you still got Syria, and we'll see all these other countries in a minute that surround them that want to kill them. But the point is, there are some that are saying this could be uh, a partial fulfillment or even somehow connected to the peace and safety stuff. Because if they take these two major ones out, that's their real problem. I mean, these guys are, 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 Syria is a problem, but not like Hezbollah and not like the Gaza Strip. So we'll see. But again, this is, um, you know, you keep your eye, it may not advance to uh, Lebanon and Hezbollah, but if it does, Greg, this is going to become more um, aggressive toward Israel worldwide. And that's the kind of thing, again, at some point could lead to Russia coming in and the world going, well, we don't, you shouldn't be doing this, but we're not going to stop you. And remember, that's the atmosphere for Ezekiel 38. Why are you doing this? What are you doing? But nobody stops them. So imagine if the whole world hates them, but they really don't want them to wipe them out, and then Russia and Iran starts moving on them, you could hear the international voices going, what are you doing? Stop doing that. But they're not going to do anything to help because they're mad too. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, there's so many scenarios yeah. that can fall into place, but yeah. that's another one to watch. Uh, maybe a silly question, but remember the last time that uh, you went and uh, took the church on a tour there in Israel. Last I May. Think it's, yeah, last May. I think it was um, maybe as you were arriving or somewhere very close to your arrival, yeah. there was a rocket attack. Yeah. And we had arrived got, already. That was happening. We were, we were but, you, but, you guys, but you guys had no idea. No, we never knew it. Never knew it. Yeah. So to that end, with everything that's going on there in Israel right now, are there currently still tour groups happening or tourism? And wh- yeah. what's the situation? Yeah, I don't think there are official tour groups that are going right now, but I do this know that... This might, might be this tour season, mind you, I, but I'm thinking oh, Christmas in Jerusalem and... Well, it is. No, I don't yeah, think okay. there's a... There could be some I don't know about, Greg, okay. but I know this. I'll put this. The tourist industry is not really going right now. Matter of fact, I've interacted with some of our former tour guides, and okay. they said, yeah, right now, tourism's not happening. But there are still people traveling there. 
there are Americans traveling, the people to go over to help and just kind of be there. Also, okay. people are traveling to Israel, but I don't think there's any official touring going on right now. Okay. All right. Uh, our next article comes from Breitbart.com, dated, dated December 12th. Israel now faces at least five enemies on five fronts. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that what country is left out? Yeah, it is. And remember, when 1948, they were attacked by five countries on all sides. And so uh, they have the two main right now that are giving them the hard time. That is Gaza down there. And then you got the uh, uh, Hezbollah we talked about. Occasional little something from Syria, but nothing major. But again, it says they're fighting them um, right now. We have, They have Hamas in Gaza and the West Bank. They have Hezbollah in Lebanon. They have Syria, again, which is formerly in a state of war with Israel, has been for decades. The Houthis, uh, the, you know, the Houthi rebels uh, there in, in Yemen uh, who have gotten involved. I mean, their, their whole purpose is <laughs> their whole purpose is to kill Jews and Christians. That's what they their whole statement on their flag is. We hate Israel. We're going to kill everybody but us. I mean, this, these yeah. guys are a mess. And they're, of course, attacking ships now uh, in, the, in, in, in the Suez Canal, the Red Sea and all this. And then you've got Iran. So you've got all these nations around them that are ready to attack. And um, again, I think the list is only going to get higher the longer this thing goes. And that's why you see Israel's on, on their guard. They've got to be watching all fronts. And, Greg, this is the thing. Once Russia and Iran come in, they're not going to be able to defend all these fronts anymore. That's why they're going to go, we're done, and they're going to, until, unless something happens. And then God's going to intervene. God will wipe them all out, and that's where they're going to go, oh, my goodness, there is a God of Israel. He just rescued us, and we're alive, and they're going to turn to the Lord. Well, would you not think at that moment when they have no one else to turn to but God, which is by his design anyway, right? That won't they be crying out for him in that moment? I think some will be crying out for God. I don't think they'll be crying out for Jesus Christ at that moment. I don't. I don't know what, sure. what their heartbeat's going to be and right. their understanding. But I do think some will cry out for God. I think some will just say we're done, and then God's going to supernaturally just come yeah. in. And when they see that, Greg, it's going to be done in such a way that everybody in the world, including all the Jews, are going to go. That was the God of Israel, and that's going to turn them back. Right. And you see that outpouring. Of the spirit, where the 144,000 get saved, yeah. they begin to start getting saved now, yeah. the Jewish nation. Uh, let's talk for a minute, if, if we can, because I think it's worth mentioning, especially as you gave the depiction of all these different uh, enemy groups that are surrounding, with the exception of the Houthis, which are not on Israel's border. Yeah, like a thousand miles away or something. But, yeah. but everyone else is. Yeah. And, and this really just speaks to God's sovereignty. That and, and this is really to encourage anyone that might be listening that's maybe doubting God's sovereignty or can't trust God um, or that God's not in control of everything. There's there's one entity that you did not mention that's that's in that list that's not that's right on Israel's border but isn't Israel's enemy right. And that's by God's design. And what right. country is that? Saudi Arabia. And, of course, there's that connection. As you're talking about. Oh, or no, Jordan. I'm talking Jordan. Jordan. Saudi Arabia is connected down there in a lot. Yes. But then you're talking about Jordan. Which I'm talking is about Jordan, across, which yeah. is right. I'm right there. Well, and both of them are silent. But the one right on, you're right. The one that's closer, obviously, is Jordan. But that's good worth mentioning Saudi Arabia as well. I thought you were bringing well. it up because of Ezekiel 30 and 39. No. So I thought you were going. Yeah. No, well, Jordan Jordan is, again, remember, Jordan has been, although they, they, they are not... Um, uh, Buddy, buddy, they don't they don't golf together. Right. Um, they they have always they have a peace deal on paper, and they get along, and they cross back and forth on the border. And remember, God has to keep that because that's the pathway down to Petra. So God is the one that's keeping um, Jordan open enough and connected enough to Israel because God's word needs to be fulfilled to get them down to Petra. Now, if something changes where Jordan turns on them, God will still open that door, guaranteed. Sure. But again, um, there's going to be a, a place where you know when they need to flee. Yeah. 
um, they're going to flee down through Jordan. So that's going to be a friend that's going to be there, or at least an yeah. opening for them to head down that direction for protection. Uh, absolutely. Yep. All right. Our absolutely. next article comes from JNS.org, dated December 13th. This is an interesting statistic. You'll have to explain all of this. Yes, nearly, I will. Nearly 75% of Palestinians say Hamas was right to attack Israel on October 7th. Okay, Greg, I brought this up because the innocent civilian conversation needs to be addressed. Yes. Nobody wants innocent civilians hurt anywhere, in any war, in Gaza or Israel or any other country. And I still stand by that. We all stand by that. We all would agree, every person listening, I think, to this, other than terrorists themselves, would agree that you don't want innocent civilians hurt. But I keep hearing one of the main um, uh, issues being you have these innocent civilians being killed in Gaza, so they should stop the war. First of all, let me say this. We've mentioned it before, but I've got to say it again. In every war, innocent civilians die. It is a tragedy, but it's simply the consequence of war. How I wish we could avoid it. In a moment, we'll have an article that talks about the extremes that Israel goes to to avoid. They go, Greg, they go to extremes more than America or any nation on the planet and historically that we know of to protect civilians. So the accusation that they're indiscriminately attacking civilians is just a lie, and it's the enemy. Are civilians being hurt and killed? Absolutely. It's called war. And especially when you're when the enemy, Hamas, is hiding behind children and hiding behind women in the hospitals, the schools, and all this, there's going to be civilian casualties. But with that said, and the understanding that our heart is with the civilians, what this article shows, Greg, there's only about 25% of people in Gaza that would be classified as innocent civilians. And how do I know that? Because 75% of them said, we believe Israel should be killed and murdered and taken care of. So that means the majority of those that are dying, even though they're not in the army, they are not innocent civilians. They are those who hate Israel. They want to kill Israel. 75%, that's three out of four, are happy that Israel got attacked and raped and burned and murdered and all that. So when you talk about innocent civilians, understand the majority being killed, even among the civilian population, they are not innocent civilians. They simply don't have a military uniform on. They are for this. They want the Jews to die. And so there's only uh, only one out of every four that would be considered innocent. Let me read some of this. Listen to what it says. Nearly three out of, in four Palestinians believe that Hamas was right in launching its October 7th cross-border attack. Um, the Ramallah-based institute polled uh, 1,231 Palestinian adults. That, that, that's a very good swath. That's what you need to get from different areas to let you know to get this number. And a whopping 89, they found 70, 72% said Hamas was correct in this mass slaughter. And a whopping 89% of respondents denied that Palestinian terrorists committed war crimes. So what, what you've got is, and what you have to understand is, the majority of the people in Gaza are on board with this. They wanted the women raped. They wanted the children burned alive. They wanted this to happen. So do we want innocent civilians protected? Yes. But only one in four, according to this poll, are innocent civilians in Gaza. Three of four are not innocent civilians. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand the situation going on in Israel. And so um, I think that needs to be clarified. And also these numbers coming out where these many civilians, they say, have been killed. We're getting those numbers from Hamas. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Hamas has consistently shown themselves to lie yes. and to present things in a way they shouldn't be presented in order to sway things to their direction. But again, I just think that it's it's important that everyone understands that when you hear this whole innocent civilian thing, yes, they're there. And yes, innocent civilians will be hurt and, and killed in war because it happens in every war. But the majority of those in Gaza by this vote are saying they're not innocent civilians. They're along with this. Now, 
One other thing to cover, Greg, because here's the other argument. Well, they have to vote that way or they'll be killed by Hamas. No, 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 no. Understand this. Prior to the war, yeah, I I can see that argument because if you voted the wrong way and the bad guys keep those records and they come and they kill you, but the majority of Hamas has now been killed, they are on the run and in hiding as Israel is chasing them. That's when this poll was done, after the majority of their leadership was killed, after they're on the run, which means the people are now free to say what they want to say, and even in freedom to say what they want to say, they still said, three out of four said, we're, we're on board. We're glad what happened to Israel and good enough for them. Well, that doesn't make you so much of an innocent civilian, does it? Mm-mm. That's what they're facing right now in Gaza. And that was a very good way to uh, properly frame that statistic. Yeah. So I thank think you so. for that. Yeah. All right, a couple of articles for Ezekiel 38 and 39 this week. This uh, first article comes from the Times of Israel, dated December 10th. Uh, This is over a phone call as I read the next part of this title. Netanyahu flogs Putin over Gaza war stance in their blossoming Iran ties. Yes, I don't know if it was noodles, if it was a leather strap. What are you flogging with? I don't uh, yeah. know, but no, it's verbal flogging. Verbal, ver- verbal. verbal flogging over the phone. Yes, yes. This, yes. Was, this was, since all the phone, how, this was... How dare you, Putin, fulfill Bible prophecy? Yeah, this was leapfrog. Yes. Because it had to be over the phone. Yes, exactly. Anyway, all right, so... <laughs> so, he uh, says, the premier holds a 50-minute conversation with the Russian leader, expresses annoyance over Russia, backing for a ceasefire at the UN, but asked for help to pressure the Red Cross, etc. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke with Russian leader Vladimir Putin for nearly an hour Sunday, criticizing Moscow's alliance with Iran and expressing dissatisfaction with his stance on Israel's war with Hamas. Um, he stepped out of his government weekly cabinet meeting for a pro- this approximately 50-minute phone call. And again, it says that pretty much the prime minister, expre- prime minister expressed his annoyance over anti-Israel stances by Russian representatives at the United Nations um, and other fora. So the bottom line is here, what happened here is that he basically said, look, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you standing with Hamas in this? Why are you going this? I don't think that Putin's going to be swayed by this. I don't think Putin cares, but here's the point. Greater tension now between Israel and Russia. Greater tension between Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin. Not that Putin will be the one that's in charge when Russia comes in, but at this point he's the man at the helm right now. And so again, you're watching things just continue to get more tense and continue to flame up. And again, it's just more and more leading toward that Ezekiel at 38 and 39 battle. And this next story really just kind of throws gasoline on that fire. Uh, This is from uh, Jerusalem Post, dated December 13th. Iran moves closer to Moscow and calls uh, China and Turkey on the Gaza ceasefire. So all the uh, Team Ezekiel getting together. Well, there you go. That's a great way to say it, Greg, because in Team Ezekiel, you've got Moscow, you've got Iran, you've got Turkey. The only one you don't have is China. Um, we don't see them involved in that in that invasion. Yeah, that they're, they're just a supporter of the of the of the ministry. So. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, and, and so you're right. And it says, um, you know, Iran Iran inch closer to Moscow as it completed work on a new treaty, um, and spoke of the necessity of the Gaza ceasefire with Russia, China, and Turkey. Um, and these guys are well, anyway. It made those diplomatic moves as the Houthis, Yemen's Iran proxy group, said uh, 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 on Tuesday. That it hit a Norwegian commercial tanker delivering crude oil to the Israel terminal. So they're getting attacked from other areas. These are the ones just kind of getting closer in friendship to the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. As Moscow moved closer to Tehran, Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov 
spoke uh, with the Iranian foreign minister and discussed the strengthening of bilateral ties between the two countries. They agreed to expedite the work on completing and coordinating a new grand interstate treaty, which has reached a high degree of readiness. So here's the bottom line. They're creating further alliances. Now, Russia and Iran already have some treaties as far as war goes in certain situations that they'd go to war with each other. Now they're just increasing these things, and they're pulling in Turkey, which is going to be a part of this. Um, We'll talk about them in a moment, but they're being very vocal about this as well. And, of course, Libya and Sudan are going to be a part of this uh, invasion as well. So you're going to see more of them popping in. They're kind of smaller nations that aren't as – they're not close enough to really be involved yet in this, but you're going to see their names popping up more and more as they get pulled in as well. But, again, you're watching this whole – all the puzzle pieces coming into place, Greg, for this battle. Well, I remember several years ago – uh, we covered a couple of news articles where Russia made uh, military agreements to the same yeah. vein that we're talking about yeah. with some of the smaller players that we identified as being part of the Ezekiel prophecy, yep. Yep. the smaller ones. Yep. Um, and yet we've now time is gone. We've slept. We've forgotten about those things. But those things will get you know called upon when needed when the prophecy comes to fulfillment. That's right. And they're already... In, Everything's in place. It really is. I mean, we're watching. It, we, it's just God's timing, Greg. God's it's timing. God's timing. Look, our, our our job is to is to know it and to point it out. God's the one that is sovereign. You know, times and seasons are in the hand of the Lord. That is Pastor Mark Kirk, who is helping us understand the signs of the times. It's our weekly review of Bible prophecy in the world's news on WIAM LP Knoxville, a weekly radio broadcast that will become podcast number 290, available to subscribe and listen to wherever you get your podcast, wherever they still let us podcast. (laughs) If not, you've always got thewaymedia.net. We've got one listener question this week, Pastor Mark, and this comes from Ken, who enjoys signs of the times up north, and I mean up north, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yes. His question is about Babylon. He says, it seems we are very close to the return of Jesus because so many things seem to be falling into place. The only thing that makes me question this is Babylon. Will Babylon be rebuilt and be the commercial headquarters of the Antichrist? And if Babylon is to be rebuilt, then might it be that we are not as close to the return of Jesus that many think we are? Yeah, what a great question. And I I love, Ken, you obviously know prophecy and you obviously know the scriptures. So great question. And uh, we have a lot of friends in Canada now. We have a lot of people moving down from Canada, Ken, just so you know. <laughs> we, we sure have, do. Uh, yeah, we have uh, some new families that are coming down from Canada and joining us. And um, and so, you know, who knows? Maybe one day you'll be one of them. But either way, um, very interesting question. Let me just say this. The Bible does talk about Babylon being rebuilt and being the headquarters of the Antichrist. And the problem is it's hard to nail down exactly what it means. Let me just say this. Whenever we can... We're always to take the Bible literally. First and foremost, literal interpretation is always the first avenue because God says what he means, he means what he says, and he says it straightforward. But with that said, there are times, and God makes it clear by the context, that there is still a literal meaning, but in that literal meaning, which God's words will always have a literal meaning, he will use symbolism uh, and things like that for a literal meaning. Here's where scholars differ, and I don't know that I know for sure what it's going to be. Um, I used to believe that Babylon was going to literally be rebuilt um, because it talks about Babylon being rebuilt. Um, and yet we see Babylon referred to symbolically in Revelation, not as a place, but as a 
a thing or a, or a system. Yeah, a system even. So so you have it presented both ways in Scripture. Uh, you have the world economic system presented as Babylon, and yet it's very clear it's the world economic system. It's larger than just an area. And then you have the literal Babylon that we talk about of rebuilding, etc. So I, I think what we see, Ken, in Scripture is a picture of both. Um, there is a literal meaning behind both because there's a literal meaning to the world economic system. That's a literal meaning. It's just symbolic of Babylon being used there. And, and it could be the same thing here. It could just be the, the symbolic meaning of a literal revival of the spirit of Babylon in the world governments, if you will, um, as they come together, the Tid nations and they saw the vision there while it was in Babylon and all that as well. So could it be rebuilt? Now, let me say this. It could, first of all, that's level one. It might just be something symbolic that has a literal meaning behind it. We, we're going to have to wait and find out. It could be literal. And you say, okay, wait a minute. If it's literal, then we are far from the Lord's return. How can that be? Well, there's stuff going on right now in Babylon that nobody knows. Look, all you'd have to do is set an office up. Ancient Babylon has already been rebuilt in a lot of ways. And there are uh, near Babylon, there are some major headquarters of, you know, there was a major event here recently where the Pope went there and had all these different religions gathered there and had a big celebration in ancient Babylon. So it could be as well that the Antichrist sets up an office there. And maybe it doesn't mean that Babylon is rebuilt in the sense of all the buildings and all the cars and all the whatever, but that his headquarters is there because it's something spiritual and demonic. And yet all of the money decisions will still be made there. The financial decisions, the power decisions, everything else. It is possible that literally his headquarters will be in ancient Babylon. And that would still be, I believe, a fulfillment of the rebuilding, if you will, of Babylon in in the sense of rebuilding just his headquarters and then ruling the world from there. Now, again, I I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's really hard to say right now until we see what's happening. I, I would say this. When you look at all the other signs that are happening right now and how much the world is falling away together as a world away from God and getting in line as a world in line with what the Antichrist is going to be doing, I don't think there's any way we're very far from Christ's return. So I believe Christ's return is near regardless. Um, and so um, I don't think that, that we, because we don't see a major metropolis built there in Babylon, that means that the Lord can't come back because the Lord said this, be watching. I'll come at an hour that you don't expect. I can come at any moment. Um, so don't, don't be stumbled by the fact that Babylon's not rebuilt and not seeing, um, um, you know, saying that Christ couldn't come back. No, the Lord can come back at any moment. As a matter of fact, he said this, he said, it is the wicked servant that says the Lord is delaying his coming. I'm not saying, obviously, that anybody, that this question is wicked. Please understand that. I'm saying that God gives a picture of anybody that says that the Lord is delaying his coming and couldn't come back at any moment is is classified in a, in a, as a wicked servant. That is certainly not Ken, and it certainly has nothing to do with this question. I'm yeah. just saying that's why when I read those kind of statements by the Lord, what that right. means is we're supposed to be ready at any and every moment and make sure that we're watching for him. So I guess, Ken, you know, what? it's a great question. I've wondered the same thing myself. And I think we're just going to wait and see. Now, when we talk about the Lord's return, specifically, we're talking about his second coming after the Great Tribulation period. Well, okay. All right. I thought you were talking about the rapture. Oh, okay. See, that's my mindset when I hear that. Oh, okay. And, well, okay, well, let's talk about this for a minute. Because I want to get back to that if you don't change subjects. No, no, no. No, no, we can talk about that, but I'm thinking in light of of, uh, Babylon and what the Bible says about Babylon, uh, we've talked before that Babylon, in terms of it's a physical place, could be Vatican City. We've talked about that before, right? Uh, in, especially in relationship to the Pope. When you read the description, just, when, yeah. you, when you read the description. Um, second of all, could Babylon not be rebuilt in that sense, 
or come to its fulfillment in the sense of how the Bible describes what it will be doing before it collapses, before it's taken down, yeah. could that not happen during the Great Tribulation period as well? It could. Okay. It could. And, you know, and I, let me add to that, Greg, because okay. I want to finish on that yeah, sure. And for you, Ken, as well. Look, they're saying they can build the Third Temple in six months. <laughs> so what's Babylon? <laughs> so, so now Babylon's much larger. Yeah. It's many yeah. buildings, and that's yeah. one. But here's yeah. my point. If he decides to set his headquarters up there, they could throw up some major buildings in a year easily, major buildings all around there that could be a headquarters economically, and you have a rebuilt Babylon. Maybe not to the way it was in the ancient Babylon mindset, but you think about, especially three years, three and a half years, if he has all the money and power of the world at his fingertips, what could he do in that length of time without any restrictions on codes and permits? He just does what he wants. It's amazing what can get done when you're not restricted. And they say they can build the entire third temple in six months. They're ready to go. And it's a major structure they've got going. So my point is, is yes, and great point, Greg, is that it could be there still is some literal fulfillment to the rebuilding of Babylon. Yes, I do believe there's a possible literal fulfillment. Um, and that is in that of the second coming. I was making reference, uh, cause I to guess the rapture. I, yes, I was understanding the question and, and it wasn't clear here that it was in reference to the rapture. And so my point was is there is nothing preventing the rapture happening at any moment. Right. And we want to make sure that we never ever say that the Lord's delaying his coming when it comes to the rapture because the Lord put a certain category. He said those that say he's delaying his coming. He puts them in the wicked category. I don't want to be there. And if you say that the rapture can't happen at any moment, that puts you in a different category than the person watching. So, again, great question. Um, and we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. But it, very yeah. interesting. I think it could be both, a little mixture of both, or, again, uh, uh, one or the other. O- only time will tell. Ken, great question. If you've got a question like Ken, just visit thewaymedia.net or the Way Media app. Go to Signs of the Times, and you'll see where you can ask your prophecy question. All right, let's come back to America for a little bit. Uh, This is from Israel Today. Biden says Israel must, quote-unquote, embrace a Palestinian state. Spoiler alert, Israeli leaders disagree. Yeah, let me read some of this and say, well, this is also huge. U.S. President Joe Biden on Tuesday hit back. And Prime Minister Netanyahu calling for the Oslo Accords or calling the Oslo Accords a mistake and insisted that Israel must embrace a two-state solution. Sp- speaking at the fundraising event, the American leader criticized most conservative government, the most conservative government in Israel's history, for opposing the creation of a Palestinian state. A day earlier, Netanyahu said during a tense meeting of the Knesset Foreign Affairs and uh, Defense Committee that Oslo was the mother of all sins. He noted that as if it still needed to be noted that the only difference between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority is that Hamas wants to destroy us here and now. And the PA wants to do it in stages. That is so true. Wow. Great they, point. That is so true. They, they both have the same goal. Uh, Biden thinks Netanyahu is saying such things because he's constrained by the ultra-nationalists in his coalition. Nonsense. No, here it is. The thing is, it's not only Netanyahu. It's, it's those on both sides now. In a fiery speech to bereaved families during Hanukkah, candlelighting event Tuesday evening, former Justice Minister Gideon Sa'ar was adamant and said this, God forbid that after paying the compound interest from the mistakes of the past, we return to the path of retreat, weakness, and concessions. God forbid that after paying with the blood of our sons, we will return to the illusions of the past. We will not agree to a Palestinian terrorist state, not in Judea, not in Samaria, not in Gaza. And so, again, note this. Here's what we talked about, and I can't remember if we talked about it on the air, Greg, you and I beforehand. But look, Israel is in a different position now. They are not willing to, to stop this offensive. In the past, they've been pushed back. We did talk about that, I know. But they're saying, no, 
We're finishing the job. We don't care if you're with us or not. America, if you're not with us, we're still finishing the job. It's going to make the world hate them even more. But you know what? They're the ones that had their women and children burned alive They're going to, and raped. They're going to go, and they're going to get the job done, and they're going to defend them. And the problem is, Greg, is they're saying they want to create – what the world wants to do is create a state for the people that just did that to them. And Israel's saying, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. Whoa, Think whoa, about whoa, that. Wait a minute. Think about You're that. wanting next door to us for them to become a nation – of what just did that to us, we're not doing it. Now, here's the thing. They're going to keep their stand and not go along, but when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to do it. Now, whether or not it'll be two-state, we don't know, but here's what it says in Joel and Revelation. The Antichrist, in Joel, it says, will divide up the land. It says they will divide up the land. And we know that the Antichrist is going to sign a treaty, Daniel 9, uh, 27, with the, with Israel and the surrounding nations. So there will be a treaty signed with Israel. It will have something to do with the surrounding nations. And we know in Joel that they will be dividing up the land. So although Israel's putting their flag down, quite literally, and saying we're not budging, um, something's going to happen. And so how it's going to pan out or if it's going to happen before that, I don't think it's going to happen, Greg, until the rapture of the church, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and the Antichrist walks on the scene. But boy, this sure sets the stage for those things. Yeah. Now, and again, you know, and when we say that, remember when the Syrian civil war first started, one of the prophecies that we saw in, in the, uh, in the sites of, of that civil war was the potential destruction of Damascus and I, and the fulfillment of Isaiah 17 one. Yeah. And I remember. Man, it was story after story, and we're just like hanging on to the to the armchairs and getting ready. You know, when is this? When is that city going to get wiped out? Because it seemed so it imminent. Did. It did. It did. I got to tell you, I feel the same way about Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine as we see Israel's right to do what they're doing because of how they were attacked, but the world looking at it completely different. Yeah, and. Israel, I believe, will be successful in doing what they've set out to do, yeah. which is going to, from a spiritual battle perspective, enrage the enemy, and maybe that's the catalyst that stirs up the conglomeration of these nations, yeah, again, maybe. The Team Ezekiel, maybe. coming together and fulfilling. And again, I say that in the context of how we were also looking at Isaiah 17:1 at the right. beginning of the Syrian civil war. So, we're not saying, man, you know, hang on to your armchairs because it's it's going to it's going to happen, it's imminent, but it has that same feel. Yep. And that doesn't mean that it won't, right. but it doesn't mean that it will. That's but right. boy, the conditions, the, the what the point I'm trying to make is the conditions for Ezekiel to happen or to for, to be formed have never been greater than they are right now right. because of the consensus hatred that is now congealing, coming together right. against Israel because right. of this. Right, and, and again, the bottom line is we never know. We don't we know God's don't know. timing, but you're right, Greg. See, here's the thing with prophecy, guys, and remember this. This is where we have to be careful that we don't go to sleep because it doesn't happen when we think it's going to happen. The, the winds of prophecy blow all around us. And you fill up strong breeze of, oh my goodness, Damascus is in trouble. Well, that didn't mean that the storm's going to hit Damascus yet. You're just, you're feeling a real breeze. The breeze is real. Now you're feeling the real breeze of Ezekiel 30 and 39. It doesn't mean that Ezekiel 30 and 39 is about to happen. What it means is I'm feeling the headwinds. The wind's blowing right now. Only God knows the timing of the actual touchdown of that storm when that's going to happen. And so um, the, the danger is don't go to sleep. 
Just because it doesn't happen right now, don't go to sleep. Don't be that person that says, ah, they've been saying that forever. Ah, it's never going to happen. Because then you become prophecy. Because the Bible says in the last days, there'll be scoffers saying, yeah, they've been saying since you know, the beginning of time the Lord's coming back. And he's not, he's not here yet. Be careful. One of these days, Damascus will be destroyed. One of these days, Russia and Iran will invade Israel on the northern border. One of these days, Jesus Christ will come to return for his church. And so you want to be ready no matter what. Is it in our lifetime? I don't know. But I want to be ready whenever it is because there's a special reward. And the Lord told us, watch, be watching, because you don't know what hour I'm coming. Pastor Mark, our next article comes from the Times of Israel dated December 13th. Biden aide is saying that Israel is taking steps to protect civilians that even the U.S. might not have taken. Yeah, this is interesting. What a statement. Well, well here's the okay, thing. Well, okay. No, you're right. Okay. No, it's good. What I'm saying is what's interesting about this is last week the president said, a few days ago the president said, uh, there, he makes statements like this, you know, what I'm concerned about is they need to take more care in, in protecting civilians. Now, when you make a statement like that, I know that's political for your, your your people. You want to keep your base happy like you're doing something. I get it. That's politics. But what that's saying is, that means you're really not doing anything protecting civilians. What you're doing is you're indiscriminately bombing civilians. So what I'm calling for is they need to do better at protecting civilians as if Israel's not doing everything they can to protect civilians now. Okay? That happened a few days ago. Well, now we have our envoy go there to uh, Israel. He's there now speaking to Netanyahu. Netanyahu, these guys are so smart. He shows him the grid of how they break up the regions and warn them and drop leaflets and tell everyone and give them time. And And it's so intensely detailed to protect civilians that our leader calls President Biden and goes, you got to see this. These guys are like over the top in trying to protect the civilians in Gaza Strip. Um, and so then the president gets the message and right after saying they need to do more to protect civilians, he goes, you know what? They're not only protecting civilians, they're really probably doing it even more than we would. Let me read some of the article. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby suggests that some of the steps that the IDF has taken to prevent civilian casualties in Gaza might even go further than what the U.S. would have done if it were in Israel's place. Kirby highlights the map the IDF published alerting civilians as to which neighborhoods it was planning to attack so that they could evacuate ahead of time. And I quote, that's basically telegraphing your punches. There are very few modern militaries in the world that would do that. I don't know that we would do that, Kirby said. So here's the bottom line. We're Even though they, the political statements are being made to say, do more to protect civilians, when we do our homework and we see what they're doing, Greg, they are going over the top. They're protecting the civilians the best they can, more than anybody would ever do in a war. And the accusation that they're not is absurd, and it's been proven now again by this map that Israel released and showing them what they're doing. And so, um, again, it, but the, you know what? The world is not interested in facts. They're not interested in truth. They're interested in their political agenda, so they won't listen. But the facts are Israel's doing everything they can to only get the bad guys and to protect anybody that might be a good guy. When did Hamas drop their leaflets that they were invading Israel on, Bingo. Uh, on, in October yeah. 7th? Yeah, what warning did they give? What they were going to come in and give? rape the women and break yep. their bones and so doing, burn their children alive and put one in an oven alive and cook him. When did they tell they were going to do that? See, that's what's going on here. Exactly. And that's why we can't have nice things. Yes. 
this is from the Times of Israel as we look at growing anti-Semitism. This is dated December 12th. And it's really, <laughs> this statistic should be no surprise, but yeah. just, it's staggering, the, the percentage. U.S., U.S., by the way, this is for our country, America. Yes. America anti-Semitism is up 337% since October 7th. Since all of these atrocities we were just discussing. Yes, and here's the thing, Greg. We're their best friend. <laughs> With friends like us, who needs enemies? Anti-Semitism watchdog also cites a rising global incident since the Hamas massacre. 591% in Australia. Um, in the UK, they've seen it go up as well. Um, again, they did the same kind of interactive map showing where there were the cases up. Again, I could go down the list of all these different cases. The bottom line is, is that look, the world's turning against them like the Bible says would happen, and we are their best friend, and we are seeing a 337% increase in anti-Semitic activity. Uh, I tell you, um, you know, getting back to what we talked about earlier, uh, the signs of Jesus Christ's rapture anyway are all around us, all over the place. We're passing street signs everywhere. Only God knows the timing, but this is exactly what it says the world will be like when he comes back. Yep. Our next article comes from Fox News, dated December 14th, and this just shows you uh, hatred has to be bred and taught. Yeah. Uh, this is about a boy, age 13, charged, charged in Ohio for allegedly plotting a mass shooting at a Jewish synagogue. He's 13 years 13 old. 13 years old. Somebody taught him this. His mom and dad, somebody taught him this, where he learned this. Uh, at the least, his mom and dad didn't teach him to love anybody. Uh, 13-year-old boy facing charges for allegedly plotting a mass shooting in a synagogue in Canton, Ohio, according to the family court documents obtained by several local outlets. Um, the boy, well, Let me just say, this. I don't know his parents. Maybe they weren't involved in his life. So I want to be careful on the statement I make there. But this is the kind of thing you don't just learn on your own. Somebody hey, had that's this the bottom. That's yeah. the bottom line. The boy's yeah. name was redacted from the documents, did create a detailed plan to complete a mass shooting at the Temple Israel on the Discord platform, which was reported to law enforcement and required an immediate investigatory response and notification of public individuals and agencies, including the school system, which caused significant public alarm within those agencies. And, of course, he was arrested. He's now being held on two misdemeanor counts uh, of inducing panic and disorderly conduct in, in connection with the alleged plot against the Jewish congregation expected to appear in the Stark County Family Court on December 20th. Now, again... You know, you see that how in the world does a thirteen-year-old get so rolled up and so evil that he's wanting? You know, he's ready to do a mass killing. Now we see him doing it at schools. He just turned it toward the Jews. So I guess this isn't as shocking as you would think it is. But it's it, it reminds me, Greg, of the videos that I see where in in Gaza and they're, they're and in Palestine areas they teach their little children from day one to hate the Jews. They have and, their own version of Sesame Street that does just that. Yeah, and they teach them to kill them and to hate them, and, and, th- and now we're seeing the fruit of it. That's the problem. When children are trained up that way, you know, the Bible says train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart. Well, you train up in the way of the Lord, they'll go that way. You train up in the way of evil, they're going to go that way as well. And that's what this child obviously was raised in. That's what's happening in Palestine and, and the Hamas areas. Uh, Pastor Mark, I don't know if our next article is one of coincidence or one of warning, but yeah. nevertheless, from Fox News, dated December 14th, a Turkish lawmaker who said Israel will not be able to escape the wrath of God himself dies days after that statement with a heart attack. And of course, he said the wrath of Allah is how he said okay. it. It's translated in English to God, but he said he will not the escape the wrath of Allah after. And then he said, Greg, did you see the video? No, I did I not. I watched the video. He okay. says that, and then all of a sudden he just collapses on the ground and just drops to the ground. Uh, and they took him away to a wow. hospital. He died. He didn't die immediately. He died a little, little later on. Um, uh, but, but let me read some of this. Uh, it says, uh, during a speech in Parliament on Tuesday, Hassan Bitmez, 
said Israel would not escape the wrath of Allah. A Turkish lawmaker who suffered the heart attack on the floor of the parliament immediately after he gave a speech, or suffered it, immediately after he gave a speech saying Israel would not be able to escape the wrath of Allah. Now, again, he was standing there doing it. He fell right then, 53 years old. He was there, a member of parliament, the uh, Felicity Party. But he, then he died on Thursday at the Ankara City Hospital. The death came uh, just days after his collapse. And again, uh, here's part of the translation of his speech. Even if history remains silent, the truth will not remain silent. They think that if they get rid of us, there will be no problem. However, if you get rid of us, you will not be able to escape the torment of conscience. Even if you escape the torment of history, you will not be able to escape the torment of Allah. And then the guy collapses. And you go, oh my goodness, uh, look, whether that was the wrath of God and God struck him, the timing is very interesting. It reminds me of, we'll be in Acts 12 this Sunday, uh, when Herod was receiving all the, the voice glory of a and God, not of a man. Yeah, and he didn't give God the glory. He was struck dead, you know, and worms ate him and he died. I, I'm studying that this week, and then I see this guy get struck down. God does this stuff, guys. He does. He rarely does. God is a God of grace. He gives people a lot of grace. But And I'm not saying that God struck this man down. It could have just been the timing was unbelievably coincidental. But we see in Scripture that God does indeed strike people down and even historically biblically during speeches when they're not giving god the right glory so again um i think it's a either way it should make you think twice if you want to attack the nation of israel verbally or in any other way amazing all right let's look at some pestilence plagues disasters and corruption um this is from the new york post very interesting dated december 7th They said it's a house swarming party. Yeah. Locust Clever. swarm Mexico region in biblical proportions. Uh, so is this is this a prophetic issue or you know I don't necessarily okay. see it well as prophetic in the sense of 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 Egypt or Israel, but right. again in the last days you're going to see lots of plagues and all that. So yes, this would fall in that category. The plague unfolded this week in Merida uh, and uh, and near the Yucatan area, which I've been there before. The Yucatan area, very nice, with, uh, with local authorities struggling to mitigate the midge-like uh, insects. And I quote, I won't open my mouth again, one ex-user posted Wednesday. Because one will fly in. Well, apparently so. (laughs) Um, Other videos shared online show the swarm passing over major urban corridors as cars drive underneath and calling it the end of the world. So maybe a little bit of of overreaction there. But again, it is interesting, Greg, because in the last days, we are going to be seeing more and more of these environmental anomalies and um, insects and and, and earthquakes. All these kind of things are going to be happening. So yes, I do believe it falls in that category. Very interesting to see this happening now uh, in different parts of the world. Okay. All right, let's uh, head to the church to see a very interesting article from Christian Post dated December 9th. 142 Mississippi churches are leaving the United Methodist Church over the homosexuality debate. Yeah, let me just say good for these churches. I mean, that's kind of hard to pull away from your denomination, even as an individual, but for a whole church to pull away. Um, listen, they, you know, they did the right thing. They're standing up for the word of God. It says the United Methodist Church has approved the disaffiliation of 142 Mississippi congrega- congregations joining more than 7,000 churches that left the, the mainline uh, denomination since 2019. So, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, 7,142 churches that have left the United Methodist Church because they're not standing on the Bible. Good for them. That's a hard thing to do. I, I, I applaud them. At a call session held at Anderson United Methodist Church of Jackson on Saturday, 
The UMC Mississippi Conference approved the disaffiliations of 142 churches in the state. The voting was focused on the at the district level, eight different ballots, and they go down the list of this. Um, you know, one of the congregations approved was Christ United Methodist Church in Jackson, uh, reportedly the largest United Methodist congregation in the state whose members voted 717 to 112 to leave the denomination. So, you know, again, I, I, this is great, Greg. He says, following the performance by Anderson UM Choir, they, get, they, get, you know, they, they, they did the tally, and I quote, I don't want you to clap, said Lewis after announcing the result. With those gathered remaining silent, this is still sensitive and painful, but we are turning the corner today. And so, you know, I've been watching these things happen in these different denominations. I've been watching it grow over the years in the Methodist Church and wondering, are they going to turn back to the Bible or keep going down the wrong path? And um, again, I think part of the part of the Methodist Church is continuing on down the wrong path. But there is a portion that said, you know what? We're out of here. We're going to stick with the word of God. We're not going to go against the word of God. We do not believe in what this, you know, and believe in this. It is not biblical. We're going to stand with the biblical word of God. And I applaud them. I say, way to go. Because again, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to think about it. When you're just leaving, leaving your church where you have all your friends and you love, just a church. As an individual or a family, that's a tough decision, right? Sometimes God, you know, moves his flock around. Sometimes it's because of situations. Sometimes it's simply because God's moving his flock around. But even either way, when that happens, it's tough. Imagine the whole church saying, "You know what? We're no longer going to be, you know, Calvary Chapel. Uh, we're going to go now and be something else." And that's a big deal. These guys did it because they said the word of God is paramount. We're going to stand on the word of God. We're not going to bend on this area. I hope they are as uh, committed in other areas to the word of God and that it's an inspiration to others that are involved in that movement to say, you know what, we're out of here too because I saw when they went that direction, Greg, and they voted to approve all this. And I, I said then, look, the United Methodist Church is, is going to dissolve. and They're not going to have any kind of spiritual authority anymore because they're they're openly turning away from the word of God. Well, I believe those that now are turning away from that uh, if they follow the word of God, they will have spiritual authority. And so praise the Lord for these guys that are making a stand on the word of God. Yeah. Such is the times that we live in. Yes. These no kinds kidding. Of Absolutely. And so we can use some good news to wrap up our episode here this week. And this comes from ChristianHeadlines.com. This was dated last month in November. Uh, Bible Translation Agency is helping Iran translate the Bible into its native language, which I believe is Farsi. Um, but anyway, this is good news because, um, you know, people are hungry for God's word, maybe not in this country, but in these other countries. Absolutely. So what are, you know, we take for granted the fact yeah. that we can pick up a Bible and read it in English. But there are nations around the world, many that still can't do that. So what a blessing this, these organizations are that do these translations. It says a Bible translation agency is working to translate the Word of God across the world, especially in countries where Christianity is not welcome. Now, that's again, that's even harder because now you're bringing it into places that don't want it, or a lot of places that a lot of people that don't want it, the believers do. But the translation agency, Unfolding Word, has helped Christians in Iran, and it is Farsi, you're correct, Greg, at least one area for sure, and other countries worldwide translate the gospel into their native language. In an interview with the Christian Post, a representative from the Unfolding Word, Evan Thompson, who used a fake name or pseudonym for protection, um, and again, he used his real name here. Uh, well, I guess Evan Thompson's the fake name anyway. Explained how there are people worldwide who lack a Bible in their own language. Uh, there are 1.45 billion people in the world who speak about 5,500 languages that do not have a complete Bible in their heart language. So imagine that. you got getting close to 8 billion in the world now, and almost, almost, well, a billion and a half of them don't have it in their own language. That's a lot of people. A lot. 
the church has expanded exponentially in the last 20 years in these areas. And what these folks have learned is that you can lead someone to Christ, but if they don't have a church, they don't survive on their own, he said. You can start a church, but if that church doesn't have a Bible in its heart language, it will typically only last one generation. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Iran, for example, has churches operating underground, and there are thousands of underground churches in many other parts of the world. While Thompson praised the marvelous work by translating agencies worldwide, he noted a decline in the number of Western Bible translators that Bible translation agencies can send overseas. And I quote, the group that founded Unfolding Word developed a way to address this problem. We call it church-centric Bible translation. It's Bible translation incorporated into the life of the church as a part of its discipline. Mm. Most unreached people have neighbors who know Christ, and they're taking the gospel to them. And what Unfolding Word does is we equip the church in every people group with the goal of translating the Bible in every language. And so they're working on these comprehensive languages, Greg, in all these different uh, areas, uh, getting the indigenous Bibles where they need to be. And again, what a great ministry. You know, I don't, I don't know. I've heard of other ministries that do this. I'm not familiar with this particular one. Uh, but again, it, it really is exciting to know that there's not just those that we hear of that are out there, but that are really, really, uh, doing this, um, you know, um, for the sake of the church. Uh, one Iranian woman, uh, is saying, you know, basically, I cannot even imagine leaving the work unfinished. I must complete the work and see the result. I want to see my beloved ones experience salvation in Christ. This is my dream that my people can talk about God and speak his name freely without hesitation, without fear, uh, as they talk about God. And so, again, according to Open Doors USA, Iran uh, ranks number eight when it comes to countries where Christian persecution is most rampant. Another Iranian woman under the pseudonym Stella shared that she's working on translation of scriptures into her native language. Her sister-in-law converted to Christianity a lot of the translation uh, in past in the past five years. Stella worked alongside her family in reviewing the Bible translation and now works at a larger translation group. And I finished with this last quote. She said, I love my mother language. I'm telling the poetry. I write the context. I write the sentence. I record it. I know all of this is God's work for us. God wants us to do this. I'm thinking about my mom, my father, my childhood, and everyone that doesn't have it right now. I really want to bring God to my own town and my own people. What a great heart. And that's exactly what God does. God works in the heart of others that have been touched by him to go to their home people. I think about Moses. He had left and was 40 years out in the wilderness, and God said, go back now to your people. And although he was resistant because of his thought of his inability to do it, his heart was still for for his people. And that was very clear. I know that when we left, you know, and we grew up in Tennessee and God called us back to Knoxville. Same thing. I said, I mean, all of God's people are God's people, but these are the ones I grew up with. Yeah. And and we want to see them come to Christ. And so, uh, again, just a great heartwarming story uh, of the Lord's love. And again, our heart for everybody listening today always is that you would come to Christ and give your life to the Lord. And what a great time. Uh, what a, a, a No better time of the year to do it. You know, again, if you if God's been working in your heart, you're listening to the broadcast today, and you're realizing, you know what, I know that I need Jesus Christ. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I'm lost, I need to be saved. It's as simple as turning to Jesus right now, right now, as you're hearing this on the radio or streaming, and saying, Lord, I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, and I give my life to you. I turn from my sin. I choose now to follow you. And the Bible says that God will forgive you. You will be born again. And uh, right now, this moment, you will have your reservations in heaven. And, you know, it's interesting, Greg, when you talk about this kind of show that we have, Prophecy Show, and you read about all the bad news that's still yet to come, 
It's good to know that we can jump on a train that's taking us to a place where it's only going to be good news forever and ever and ever. And that is the gospel train. That is the passage to Jesus Christ in heaven. And the Lord has his arms open wide for you even today. So we would pray that you would join us. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the Bible, Pastor Mark, one of the things that I love about God's word is what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 1, that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amen. You know, especially if you see your life going in the wrong direction, God's word can take you in the right direction. Amen. You just have to get God's word in you. So, folks, we love you. We thank you for listening. Uh, Don't forget, all things Signs of the Times related can be found at thewaymedia.net as well as other content such as Pastor Mark's daily radio program, Come to the Table, which are heard on radio stations around the country, and you can listen to and subscribe to as a podcast as well. Our very own radio station, WIAM, that you can listen to 24 hours a day, and always the ever-growing teaching library uh, that Pastor Mark assembles from the pulpit of Calvary Knoxville is available for you to watch and to listen to, and you can keep growing there as well. We'll we'll see you back here next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times on WIAM. Follow